Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Black Fashion History, your favorite history podcast that shares everything you need to know about the contributions of black people worldwide to the fashion industry. And of course, I'm your host, Taniqua Russ. If this is your first time joining, Thank you and welcome to the family. I hope you have been binging all of our episodes and I hope that you learned something new about your history, our history, black history. And if you're a returning listener, I appreciate you so much. Thank you for tuning in again. Matter of fact, thank all of you for consistently tuning in every single week and binge watching binge watching (laughs) binge listening the episodes uh, sharing it on social media sending us messages dms about how much you're learning from the show the things that you like uh, tagging us in posts about black fashion and things that you would like us to cover and helping us grow in our knowledge i really appreciate all of your support This past Saturday was actually the one year anniversary for Black Fashion History. So our first episode went live on all podcasting platforms on September 19th, 2019. And ever since the first episode went up, the podcast has been growing um, in terms of listeners and recognition and also followers on social media and that has been thanks to you all you know there wouldn't be a show without you all i enjoy coming here every week to talk about history and discuss you know everything as it relates to race and fashion and the contributions of black people like i say every week but i would be talking to myself if you all didn't tune in and support the way you do so thank you so much uh thank you for making this anniversary in a sense sweet Okay, now let's get into what we all came here for, which is the main event, the meat and potatoes of this episode. So this week, I took my episode cues from fashion history. If you all follow Black Fashion History on Instagram, um, or if you follow The Shade Room or any fashion news publications like Women's Wear Daily, fashion law anything like that you saw that Sean John will be coming out with this first ever women's wear line in collaboration with the UK retailer Misguided. The collaboration actually launches next week on the 29th but I'm dedicating this week's episode to talking about Sean John because I don't think people understand how revolutionary and iconic this brand was. Like Sean John even though it wasn't unique in its inception you know if you remember the 90s or the early 2000s you remember that wave of rappers developing their clothing lines there was rock aware there was um uh i'm drawing a blank here but there were a lot of (laughs) a lot of rapper associated brands so the legendary aspect of sean john isn't in what it was but how the brand carried itself how it transitioned into different areas and also the fact that it still stands today so we are going to get into everything that is p diddy as it relates to sean john and the history and impact of the brand sean john and i promise you by the end of the episode you will find a new appreciation for 
wrapper developed brand specifically this one and it might even encourage you to go ahead and shop the misguided release next week so most of us remember the urban streetwear brands of the late 90s and early 2000s we had baby fat fat farm rockaware and nietzsche echo lrg academics and of course, Sean John was just one of many hip hop inspired brands to come to the forefront of fashion during that time. It launched in 1998 at a Las Vegas trade show and was a self-built fashion venture by Puffy, Sean, P. Diddy Combs, whatever you like to call him. But it started off with the same kind of idea of many of the other brands created by rappers of the time, like Rockaware, which was this admiring and this indulgence of street and hip-hop culture that we were participants in but weren't necessarily producing and selling to the masses. So there were brands like Tommy Hilfiger, Ralph Lauren, DKNY, selling sportswear and presenting it with quote-unquote urban aesthetics worn by many hip-hop artists and R&B singers but there were very few black owner black backed brands that were doing the same and it was our culture so Diddy was very inspired by Carl Kanai who was really among the first to have an urban fashion brand meaning a streetwear brand that embodied the culture of hip-hop and of black America and of the things that you would see just hanging around any urban neighborhood from Brooklyn to um, Chicago or Atlanta. So Diddy followed this mold that was very popular at the time, as you can tell by the brands that I named at the beginning of this segment, um, to where he was selling not just fashion, but culture and culture that was blowing up and becoming popular at the time. And he was one of the most popular purveyors of that culture. You think about back in the late 90s and early 2000s, Bad Boy was rocking like they had everybody. New York was at the top of the hip hop game. And it only made sense that he would get into this venture. So at the beginning of the life of Sean John, Diddy signed with Paul Wilmot, who was a fashion publicist that had worked with Calvin Klein and was very well-known and well-connected in the fashion industry. He also hooked up with Tommy Hilfiger as a mentor to learn everything that he could about fashion in this space so that he could really succeed. On the advice of Paul Wilmot, the fashion publicist, Diddy started going out to fashion shows, sitting in the front row, you know, about two years out before the actual launch of the brand to get an idea of what the fashion industry looked like because fashion operated so differently back then. Um, and fashion was a world of its own. And in 1999, Diddy had his moment and essentially a stamp of approval within the fashion circle even before the brand launch. In 99, Diddy appeared in a Vogue editorial shot by famed fashion photographer Anna Leibovitz and he appeared alongside Kate Moss, John Paul Gaultier, Karl Lagerfeld, Oscar de la Renta, Alec Weck, and John Galliano. The editorial was titled Puffy Takes Paris and he was photographed in the middle as the center of attention of all of these famous fashion people. He actually only agreed to be photographed with them if he could be in the center, in the center of attention. And this editorial is what 
moved Diddy from your everyday rapper or even hip hop mogul to being part of the fashion conversation. And Grace Coddington, who is a former creative director, or not a former, the former, the creative director at Vogue. I'm sure you know who she is. She has the long red hair. Anyway, she said of this editorial, of this moment, and of Diddy, I think the whole fashion culture changed with that Puff Daddy moment. That same year, Sean John made its official New York debut, but not with the fashion show, with a cocktail party at the Lexington Avenue flagship Bloomingdale store. However, this is when it gets tricky. So even though Diddy had been essentially welcomed into the fashion community in a sense, and now you have the soft launch of this brand at Bloomingdale's, which is one of the top notch places to be when it comes to fashion. But Sean John was tagged as an urban brand versus a simple sportswear brand which would have been the classification for any other American designer that had the same launching path and the same aesthetics. Just as a quick aside, urban isn't a bad word or a bad label to add to fashion. Um, Urban is actually quite descriptive of a particular culture of fashion. However, it is negative when you see a black designer and your first tag on them is urban fashion because they are black. Is this idea that they only create for black people or it's somehow not on the same level as something presented by, you know, Calvin Klein or Tommy Hilfiger or Ralph Lauren which was particularly insulting in this moment because that's exactly what Sean John was, was everything that Tommy Hilfiger, Ralph Lauren, Calvin Klein was putting out at the time. It was a mirror of it. It just had um, a black man behind it. These are Diddy's words to Robin Givon in a Washington Post article. Urban I was always insulted by the word. I would get insulted when they put us into that classification because they didn't do that with other designers. That street hip-hop-ish. That's what was said about us behind closed doors. Sean John had his first official fashion show in 2000 at Bryant Park. And this was the beginning of the end for every other fashion show. And I say that because... Diddy was known for producing multi-million dollar runway shows to woo his guests, the audience, and to just create an overall luxurious but fashion-tainment, which is a word that he coined, experience. And if you know Diddy from any of his shows, like Making the Band or that one show where he was trying to find an assistant, you know that he is extra and he takes things to the highest level of which he can take it. So there was champagne that he would serve to his guests and the audience members. There were fur-lined runways. Um, There were extravagant after shows. You know, we had models like Tyson Beckford and Channing Tatum, you know, chandeliers like everything was amazing and you know he attracted the top of the top celebrities so you know Mary J Blige was sitting in front row Alec Baldwin even Johnny Cochran like who's who in fashion entertainment and every other societal circle would be present at his fashion shows 
Diddy actually produced the first ever nationally televised runway show, and that was for his brand, Sean John, and it happened during New York Fashion Week in 2001, and it aired on E-Television and the Style Network. And this was something that obviously hadn't been done before, but not just that, it was a fashion show of such great proportions and visual entertainment that it could be shown on TV and bring excitement to at-home viewers. And the other quote-unquote urban brands or brands similar to Sean John at the time, they were not doing that. While brands like Fat Farm and um, Rock Aware and Baby Fat were showing at Fashion Week, they weren't showing at this level and they weren't pumping out multi-million dollar shows um, in the way that Diddy was for Sean John. It just wasn't the same. Sean John started to become the perfect love child of streetwear, street culture, and high fashion. And it was really the predecessor of the things that we see today. When we look at Gucci or Balenciaga, Off-White, um, Fear of God, Pierre Moss, all of those streetwear slash high fashion brands or how French and Italian fashion brands are approaching streetwear today is what Sean John was doing back in the late 90s and the 2000s. And I think Sean John aesthetically was a great representation of what was happening in hip hop culture at the time. So when Sean John started out in the 1990s, it was very much velour tracksuits, oversized tees, puffer jackets, everything we saw in rap videos at the time. Then it kind of transitioned into carrying some of those things, but carrying them in a more mature or adult manner. And then it transitioned into producing like three-piece suits and shirts and ties which is how hip-hop had evolved. Hip-hop started off very um, fashion-wise, you know, very track suits and hoodies and Tims and all of that stuff. And that's what rappers would wear down the red carpet. And then it transitioned to things like button-up shirts and jeans. Jay-Z would do that a lot on the red carpet. And, you know, fitted caps. Then it moved into suits, three-piece suits, ties, cufflinks, um, pocket squares. And Sean John was able to follow the trend of hip-hop. And so it was always on the pulse. And I think that helped with its longevity. I think it also helped that Diddy was at the helm of it. And he has been a tastemaker, you know, a style icon, a fashion influencer in the hip hop space. So within two years of the brand's launching, it was in 1,200 stores and had sales of over $200 million. Diddy received multiple nominations for the Council of Fashion Designers of America CFDA Awards, which is like the Oscars of Fashion. In 2004, he won Menswear Designer of the Year, and he was the first black designer to ever win an award in either menswear, womenswear, or accessories. And at that point in 2004, the awards had been around for 23 years. So for 23 years, CFDA, the Council of Fashion Designers of America, had awards and not a single black designer received one in menswear, womenswear, or accessories. 
And this is during a time of Willie Smith, who made amazing menswear and women's wear. As you know, if you listen to our Willie Smith episode, you know that he is one of the few designers that were able to, at the time, make both menswear and women's wear successfully. Stephen Burroughs, who pioneered uh, women's wear with things like jersey and the lettuce hem. These people are designers that many of the members of the Council of Fashion Designers of America have stated as their inspiration, um, but none of them won awards. So it's a huge honor, one, to win an award of this magnitude, but it's also disruptive that someone coming from both music and hip hop culture was able to be the first black designer crowned in menswear. And he was up against Calvin Klein, you know, traditional sportswear, traditional American designers, what we think of when we think of cookie cutter designs, what fashion thinks of when they think of, you know, high end design. So this is a great honor and it was a great disruption in the cycle of fashion and in the fashion industry that just kind of proves, you know, how important it is to think outside of the box, but also that urban wear, quote unquote, is high fashion. Hip hop culture is high fashion. There is no fashion without us. Later that year, Sean John attempted to add women's wear to the brand, but that proved to be unsuccessful. However, the menswear side of the brand was still growing um, and also, you know, launching into children's wear. And what's most important, though, I think about Sean John, especially during this time, is that it became a training ground or a breeding ground for other award winning designers and particularly streetwear designers. So the two designers behind Public School, which is a very popular high fashion streetwear brand of today, still winning awards, uh, met at Sean John. So I know I'm going to screw up his name, but I'm trying my best. Dao Yi Chow and Maxwell Osborne are the two designers behind public school and they worked at Sean John. Um, Chow worked as a creative director at Sean John and Osborne interned there uh, and it led them to starting public school in 2008, really off the backs of Sean John and the aesthetic that was created by the brand. Sean John was really one of the most luxury or high fashion of the streetwear brands that came out of the late 90s and the early 2000s. And as I said earlier, it set the model for what we're seeing today. And the brand Public School is really an example of that, especially given that both of these guys worked at Sean John. And even as of 2016, Sean John was still generating more than $525 million in sales. That is amazing because by the year 2016, most of these uh, brands from the 90s and the early 2000s had fizzled out. People weren't wearing Rockaware. They're not wearing Baby Fat. They're not wearing Fat Farm. You Pepe jeans, you don't even know where to find that. Like you find those in thrift stores. Yet Sean John is still generating that in sales. And I think that speaks to its ability to transition um, and the longevity that a lot of 
black brands don't experience, but particularly these streetwear brands didn't experience. Uh, and I think a large part of that is due to the exclusive deal that they signed with the Macy's. Sean John started its exclusive relationship with the Macy's in 2010, and that has helped it, in my opinion, stay consistent and even grow in sales because Macy's is really America's retailer, is the retailer of the middle class, standard, stereotypical American family. And because of Diddy's and the Sean John's team, ability to pivot and to grow and transition articles of clothing that was very specific to a culture so like only black culture would get the fur trimmed um you know oversized bubble coats like you're not seeing that in suburbia but it can move from there into items of clothing that you know you would see in suburbia and I think Sean John really is the fashion illustration of hip hop, like how hip hop has moved from being something that was done in parks, in urban neighborhoods or at these basement parties to something that white America consumes in suburbia to the point where it's even more so than us. Sean John was able to package market and sell the cool and sell black culture it was black culture and hip hop culture from a black person, but sold to white America in a ways that they get to experience the quote unquote cool that they may be seeking or the aspects of our culture that they may be seeking, but also we get to benefit from it. And that's essentially what we all want out here, right? So when we have the conversation about cultural appropriation, it's that we are not getting our credit nor are we getting our just economical due from people participating in the things that we created. In fact, people are selling the things that we created and they're getting all of the financial incentives from it. Sean John mastered the technique. In 2013, the brand created history again by producing the first ever Instagram fashion show. Again, another sign of Sean John being able to pivot and go with the flow of culture while also selling culture and still being relevant. In November 2016, Diddy decided to sell a majority interest in Sean John to Global Brands Group Holding Limited, which is a Hong Kong-based company, and now he currently retains 20% of the brand. We talk a lot about Black-owned brands here, so I thought it was important to note um, this change in the structural ownership of the brand in case you're interested. But I think it's important to also note that in order to maintain longevity, sometimes brands need to take on a partner. And because Black brands specifically don't seem to last beyond a certain extent. This may have been the best viable option, but I know we all think differently when it comes to ownership and selling pieces of our brand and being 100% black owned and how much that matters. Um, so I just want to give you a little something to, to ponder on and discuss amongst yourselves. <laughs> In 2018, Sean John released its first collaboration, which was a capsule collection that pays homage to Jean-Michel Basquiat. Fast forward to 2020, September 29, we will see 
the first ever women's wear line releasing from Sean John and this will be in collaboration with Misguided. Based on the pictures I'm seeing, it looks to be very reminiscent of the 90s, but the 90s in a way that most fashion retailers are doing it now. So um, velour track suits, but updated to be 2020. Uh, oversized t-shirts that you could wear as dresses, um, bomber jackets, puffer jackets, crop tops, tube tops, all of the things the girls like from Fashion Over and Forever 21. It's my hope that with this new women's wear line, the Sean John Legacy can continue on years and years from now, but also continue to be innovators in the fashion space and continue to direct the aesthetic and not just following the trend. And that's it guys. Thanks again for tuning into another episode. I hope you enjoyed talking about Sean John and Puffy this week. If you did, make sure to share this episode with a friend. That's right, no matter what podcasting platform you're listening to there's an option to share so send us in a text post it on facebook instagram twitter whatever you like just share it with someone that you love of course you can always follow us on instagram at black fashion history podcast but all i ever want y'all to do really is tune in again next week for another riveting and exciting black fashion installment Bye bye